0: Welcome to Nomcast, where we take a deep dive into your food and splash around to see what we can find. I'm your host, Alice Zaslavsky. Let's start off with a simple multiple choice question. We're going to play you two sounds. One will be the sound of me tapping my finger against a pumped up basketball, and the other will be the sound of me tapping on a watermelon, and you have to guess which is which. You Ready? Okay, sound A. And now for sound B. Can you tell which sound was the watermelon? Was it sound A or sound B? If you're having trouble guessing, I don't blame you. It was a bit of a trick question, sorry. Both noises are supposed to sound the same because one excellent way to figure out whether or not a watermelon is ripe is to pick it up at the shops, knock on it with your knuckles, and listen for a nice, deep sound. If it sounds like it's full, it's not ready yet. Mm -mm. If it sounds like a pumped-up basketball, then it's good to go. Mm -hmm. It's just one example of how food and sound are linked. We tend to get overwhelmed by the taste, look, and smell of food. But for those of us who are lucky enough to have good hearing, Sound can be so, so important for the experience of a meal too. From the moment you bite into an apple, you'll be able to hear the ripe, crisp crunch. Then the way you chomp and squelch and mush it around inside your mouth as you chew is a big part of the enjoyment. It's satisfying, like your face has done a workout but you haven't had to leave the couch. Sound can set the scene for disappointment too. Like breaking the top of a creme brulee and hearing a dull squish instead of a delicious crack. Or opening a bottle of something fizzy only to find it's flat. Mm. According to TV cook Nigella Lawson, sound replaces smell in her TV cooking shows. They even go as far as turning up the volume and extending the microphone as close to the food as possible. Until smell-o-vision is a thing, sound vision is going to have to do. When you're heating up a pan, you'll know it's hot enough for frying if the food sizzles when it hits the hot plate. If the water's boiling on the stove, you'll usually hear it bubbling before you see it. Otherwise, you'd be staring into warm water for ages, wondering why time is moving so slow. Once a cake is in the oven, a good way to know how it's going is to put your ear to the door, not too close, and listen. It'll be bubbling away when the cake's half done, but the sound will get softer and slower as the liquid in the mixture gets cooked out. If you listen again and the cake's gone quiet, then it might be overcooked. Anyone who's made microwave popcorn will know the value of listening for the quiet between the pops as the plate hums around and around and around. If you wait too long, you could be about to watch a movie with a bowl of burnt popcorn on your lap. And speaking of burning, everyone should know that sometimes the best way to know toast is overdone is to listen for the shrieking sound of the kitchen's smoke alarm. Then there's the thumping around the house looking for the broom so you can hit the off switch on the alarm. These are some great examples of food and sound affecting each other. But it turns out the connections go even deeper. This episode is brought to you by Rhizomes Rhyme Zone, presented in partnership with Music Mushroom and Mycelium Microphones. Want to spit lyrical miracles? Visit Rhizomes Rhyme Zone for an introductory workshop. We'll connect your rhymes to your gray matter organically. Defeat your enemies and win over new fans with original lyrical poetry or your money back. Visit RhizomesRhymeZone.com.au to book today. And use the promo code NOMCAST, that's N-O-M-C-A-S-T, for 20% off your first session. Music and taste are two of the hardest things to describe using just words. Have you ever tried to explain the sound of a song or the taste of a meal to someone who's never heard of it? You start reaching for words that can sound a bit strange, like lip-smacking tang or block-rocking beats. Then there are the words for taste that you can also use for sound, like a sizzling hot song or some thumping bass notes at the back of your palate. This is the great thing about taste and sound being so hard to describe everyone can have their own spin on it because taste and sound are open to so many different interpretations. The loose relationship between the two can inspire whole new dishes. There are even chefs who have been inspired by short, punchy punk songs to make simple, to-the-point meals without too many sides or dressings or extras. There's even a place called Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams in Columbus, Ohio, where every ice cream flavour has its own song. If the ice cream makers are stirring ancient ingredients like frankincense and honey, the songs they play in the kitchen are usually slow ballads. If they're making brighter, cake-like flavours, the ice cream makers play shiny pop songs by artists like Lady Gaga or Nicki Minaj or Madonna. A lot of our enjoyment of food and sound comes down to memory and our relationship with music, but it turns out it might go even deeper than that still. Scientists at Oxford University in England have been doing research into the connection between sound and taste and discovered that what we taste can be physically affected by what we hear. Things can sound creamy or spicy or sour. Dronier, harsher soundscapes like this can bring out the bitterness in food, while lighter, more high-pitched soundscapes like this can enhance the sweetness. It comes down to biology. When we're born, our sweet taste buds develop first because mother's milk is sweet, and as babies, we need the milk to grow. So when we first taste something sweet, our tongues naturally go out and up, which, if you try humming with your tongue out and up, makes a high-pitched noise. Go ahead, give it a go. It turns out bitter tastes have the opposite effect. Little baby tongues tend to stick out and go down to eject the taste. That's because bitter things might be poisonous to a baby. If you stick your tongue out and down, then try and make a noise, you usually go, (laughs) blah. It sounds more like a bitter drone. So the theory is our brains make the natural connection between sweet sounds and sweet tastes, while bitterness sounds bitter. It doesn't work for everybody, but it's been proven to be true enough that people are trying to use the knowledge in practical ways. Now there's even a cafe in Beijing where they've reduced the sugar content in cakes and made up the difference by playing sweet music all day. Next time you make a cake, put in less sugar, create a playlist full of your favourite sweetest music, and just taste what happens. quiz time. Question one, are ripe watermelons hollow or full? Question two, what sound will a cake make when it's overcooked? Question three, where do they play specific music while they make different flavors of ice cream? Question four, what sound should a creme brulee make when you dig into it? Question five, where can you get reduced sugar cakes supplemented by sweet music? Question six, how do you generally know a pan is hot enough to cook on? Okay, that's all we have time for today. Make sure you check phenomenon.com.au for the quiz answers and for more deep dives from the Phenomenom Nomcast. Over and out. This podcast was brought to you by Hort Innovation, using the mushroom and onion research and development levies and funds from the Australian government. For more information, visit horticulture.com.au. For more information on Phenomenon, check out phenomenon.com.au.